And to, to give you some fun fact, Paris Saint-Germain fan token in August 2021, so we are at peak bull market, so it's unfair, but still, there is a Leo Messi that just left Barcelona and joined PSG. During three days, the PSG token was traded a billion dollar a day on all the platforms and was more traded than Bitcoin in Brazil, for example. Hello, and welcome to Public Key, the podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews. If you're a sports fan like me, I'm sure you have your favorite teams. You probably own jerseys and a ton of other apparel. You might even plan your weekends around match times. But have you bought a fan token yet? In this episode, I learned everything about fan tokens from Alex Dreyfus, who's the CEO of Socios and Chili's. His companies are working with Premier League soccer clubs, F1 racing teams, the NFL, and the UFC to extend fan loyalty all the way to the blockchain. Alex explains the recent growth of fan tokens and how they allow fans to have a voice and vote on decisions related to their favorite sports teams. He also highlights the importance of regulation and compliance in the industry, as well as the challenges of security and user experience. He expresses optimism about the future of fan tokens, even in the challenging regulatory landscape that we have in the US. Alex also touches on how fan tokens are different from traditional NFTs and how his team is exploring a non-custodial platform in order to give users more autonomy. And hey, after the episode, if you'd like to be immersed with everything blockchain, cryptocurrency, and Web3, then you definitely must attend the Chainalysis Links Conference, which is coming back to New York City April 9th and 10th. We've got a terrific lineup of speakers, and by the time you listen to this episode, you will just have a few days left to take advantage of early bird prices. So as always, head down to the show notes so you can find a link straight to registration to get your ticket today. Today, I'm joined by the CEO of Socios.com and Chili Z, Alex Dreyfus. Alex, welcome to the program. Hi, Ian. Thanks for the invitation. Your background is fascinating. You started in the world of online gaming, online poker, if I'm not mistaken, and have since you know, built your way into the cryptocurrency and specifically the, the world of uh, fan tokens, which is a, a fascinating area that I think has actually seen some great growth over the last couple of years. Tell us about your early career. How did you get into the world of, of online gaming? So I'm a web 1.0 or web 0.5 at first. I actually, uh, I'm French, as you can hear with the accent, but I was um, a geek since I'm six. But my first computer when I uh, learned how to write and, and read. And then in 1995, 1996, I created my first internet company. And since that time, more or less created several. And in 2004, move into the online gambling, uh, first sports betting and then online poker. Sports betting because of uh, regulation. Uh, it's actually a very interesting topic when you compare crypto and, 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 and gambling. But in Europe, in 2003, there was a big case that allow more or less an online sports betting company to serve every users in every European countries. And that became the boom of regulated online uh, sports betting. And so in 2004, move into that space and then evolve into the online poker space offshore, onshore, became regulated in several countries and eventually actually sold my business as a, the, the platform, especially to the to a US listed company that is still, I guess, number one or number two in uh, in land-based casino um, uh, industry in terms of a service provider. And so spent a lot of time as well in the US to understand how regulation works and lobbying and everything. It's an experience as an American that was so unusual to me where when I was growing up, the time frame you're talking about, if you wanted to gamble, there were basically two places in the United States you could go. You could go to Las Vegas or you could go to Atlantic City. And that was it. There was no idea of you know being able to walk down the street and go 
place a bet in a betting parlor. And I can remember the first time I went to London and I think the first time I went to Paris and you know, like in, in the UK, Ladbrokes, yeah, you know, everywhere. it's like a retail outlet. You just walk down, you know, high street and walk in, place a bet on whatever the Premier League game is happening that day. So your timing of creating this business was when that suddenly became international, where you could serve an entire European market, which must have just been incredible as it was moving online rather than this retail model. No, definitely. Well, it's interesting. Every country uh, is obviously different. In France, actually, we never had this retail shop or barely had okay. this retail shop. It was mainly uh, UK, as you said, Spain, Italy, especially a bit Germany, who had a proper sports betting culture. And I'm a strong believer that the regulation of sports betting and the fact that it became regulated in most of countries helped the sports to become bigger. And there is even an argument that I think I recalled like 10, 15 years ago, having read that the reason that the NFL was so successful, it's because of um, fantasy in the US. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the fact that you were able to not bet, but kind of bet uh, on that legally. Um, and that was very interesting. And, and I think sometimes, even though, and it should be regulated and it should have limits and there are abuse and you have to be careful, Yet the fact that it became a digital product helped to grow the, let's say, underlying asset, which is the game itself. Uh, yeah. So you being able to, to bet on the outcome of an event make the event more interesting to watch and therefore has more value from a broadcaster perspective, et cetera, et cetera. It's absolutely true. I live in a city in the United States where our American football team has been terrible since I was young. Uh, almost unwatchable in many years. <laughs> if it weren't for fantasy football, I wouldn't pay attention to the NFL at all because you just don't have that local franchise that you really care about. It's an interesting connection, too, to the project you're working on now. Talk about what a fan token is and why Why does anyone want one? Because I sense there's maybe Maybe a, a similar concept around engagement here as there is with something like fantasy sports or betting. So five, almost six years ago, actually it's going to be six years ago now, we created Chili's uh, and we created more or less Socials.com. The idea was very simple. 99% of sports fans are not in the stadium, not in the city, not even in, in the country of the team they are supporting in general. And the question was, what can you create that is both valuable for a fan and scalable for a team. So when you look at the revenue stream of a sports property, the main one is a TV rights, then it's sponsoring, that it's uh, then it's uh, ticketing and a match day, and then you have merchandising. These revenue stream of more or less have a ceiling. You, you cannot double them every year. You cannot increase, except in the US, it's, it's okay. But in the rest of the world, you cannot increase the price of the ticket. People will go on strike. And, and so you need new revenue stream. What can you sell to fans all over the world? We think that recognition of being a fan, recognition of being a super fan, and having a voice is actually valuable. So we created the concept of fan tokens, which in today's world, you could call that as a DAO in a way, you could call that as a membership program, as a social file, whatever you want to call it. The reality is we created the concept of membership tokenized program, let's say, that allows you as a fan anywhere in the world to own a Paris Saint-Germain, which is one of the top soccer team in the world or in Europe, or uh, FC Barcelona or Arsenal. You own one of these fan tokens. As long as you own that in the wallet, you can vote on decision of the club. Sure, you're not going to vote on what's going to be the player or what's going to be the business decision, but everything in the middle, which is fan related, is valuable to ask their fan for. And so we started with that idea 
we signed two teams, Paris Saint-Germain and Juventus in Europe uh, in uh, 2018. And fast forward today, we are more than 300 people. We have 100 plus sports teams more or less all over the world in, in many sports. It's amazing. I was looking on your website and it's not just European football, right? You've got Formula One teams like Alfa Romeo and Aston Martin. You've even got some American sports teams like my local uh, Washington Commanders and the New England Patriots. When you go to have a conversation with Paris Saint-Germain, what did they say when you first approached them about creating this fan token? Does it make sense to them? Is it already lined up to their business model? Or are they like, Alex, come on. Crypto, blockchains, why would anybody want to do this? So, first of all, in the U.S., as much as we have the commanders and patriots, and actually we had 88 teams in the U.S. We signed 27 NBA teams and 13 NFL teams, but we never launched any token due to the lack of guidance and clearance of regulation, let's say, in the U.S. Uh, so we were never able to uh, recover our investment there. So we lost a lot of money when uh, FTX collapsed. It killed the regulatory momentum that there was at some point 18 months ago. So for now, we, we are not active anymore, even on, on that side of the world. In terms of when we approach in summer 18, we approach thousands of, let's say, European teams. Uh, of course, we were already post-peak end of 17, early 18. Bitcoin touched 19,000, I believe, or 20, and then it was already done back to 13 or 7K, I'm not sure. And so we talked to people that looked at us like, but what is this? What are they talking about? And I'm usually not afraid to say that publicly. We talked to people that thought that, hey, let's take the money these guys are offering us, and they will go bankrupt anyway in two years. As long as they paid us up front, it's fine. And <laughs> we actually delivered. We actually way over-delivered. And so eventually what became our biggest asset was the fact that we were not, I hope, charlatans. We were not people trying to pitch a scheme that was not relevant. We came from the sports space, or in the, the tech and the sports space. We didn't come from the crypto space at all. At that time and still today, I don't trade. I don't own crypto myself, except the one we launched. And we, we were very much aligned in the vision that these sports property need legitimate partner to help them, guide them in the Web3 space. And I think we managed to build that company, at least to, up to till today. And then it's the egg and the chicken. The more you sign the more you signed and you create what we call a network effect because the sports world is a very small world so everybody talked to each other so when they got to know that oh yes these guys are legit and they made the 500k for us or a million dollars or more you know people trusted us rightfully hopefully and that's why we're still working with all of these brands and uh, we're still investing and building the ecosystem around that so if i'm at uh, fc barcelona we have this conversation i say alex you're a great guy and you're paying me up front so i, I like that business model zero risk for me. What happens next? How do you actually create the fan tokens? And I think you're running your own blockchain, right? Yes. You're not you're not deploying on Ethereum or something else like that. But like, take us through what happens after we agree we want to start a project together. So it's a long journey. So I'll say we have almost three different tech products uh, connected. One, we have the minting of the fan token. It's kind of easy. You know, it's a smart contract. You code it, you mint it, great down. It's free mined. So for example, FC Barcelona, they have 40 million fan token issued or minted. And and there is a vesting schedule. It's very similar to traditional, let's say, crypto asset, etc., etc. Then you have the utility platform. The utility, pl utility platform is called Socios.com. It's not available in the US, but you can buy and custody. So it's a, it's a custodial platform, hence regulatory uh, framework around what we are doing. But you own your fan token of Barcelona, one, 10, 100. If you own your fan token there, 
that's where all the voting and the gamification happens. So that's where you can vote on the decision that the club is asking. We develop a whole platform for that. That's where you can earn and redeem your uh, VIP tickets, your uh, money can't buy experiences. Uh, you can even now have some auctions on some jersey and stuff like this. So the whole fan engagement experience is built in a very much web 2.2, let's say, platform called socios.com, where all the fan tokens are uh, available. They are also tradable there. And that goes to the third layer, which is the blockchain. The blockchain originally was uh, more or less a private chain. Now we call it Chile's legacy chain. Uh, was a private Ethereum fork where only exchanges and socials were connected. And then it became now, since mm, six or nine months, it became like a, a permissionless chain. Uh, it's still an Ethereum. Actually, it's a BSC fork, but let's say it's an EVM chain. The idea was not to reinvent the wheel. The idea is not to change the world. The idea is not to be the fastest blockchain, but it's to be the blockchain that is dedicated to the sport and entertainment space and now the chain is almost the main focus of what we're trying to invest in because for the last five years most of the utility of these fan tokens were provided by us and the club the club through us or us through the club and that was our strength i believe uh, for the first five years that's why we got 2.2 million users and we managed to grow the way we managed to grow but we realized as well that there is a limitation in the fact that we need to give more power to developers we need to open that ecosystem we call that internally fan token everywhere and i was in korea two weeks ago there for example paris saint germain is very famous because there is a korean player so my mm. dream is that when you go to a nike shop which is the main sponsor of psg you will be able to get a five percent discount or whatever reward benefits gamification rewards because you have that psg token but we can't really scale that in every countries every country has different partner uh, e-commerce platform whatever so we more or less wanted to really open the whole ecosystem so developers can build tools with the biggest IP in the world and you know most of chain are fighting to get valuable content for us it's the other way around we do believe we have valuable content now we need to onboard developers and projects even though i hate that word to actually build utility outside of us leading that yeah it's an amazing architecture i mean it's probably one of the most useful projects in in the broad crypto blockchain ecosystem i look at a lot of them so the the setup that you've got here is pretty amazing i actually saw a, a tweet that i think you posted recently where someone had launched a DEX yeah, on top of the chain that you didn't you yeah, didn't have so anything to do with, right? No. You weren't you weren't sponsoring these folks. Not they even, just created no, it on their own. Chile, we have Chile's Labs, which is a different entity, which uh, is funding and uh, giving grants uh, to developers. We had our first hackathons in Istanbul during uh, ETH DevCon uh, ten days ago. It was cool to yeah. see because it was the first time for us. But yeah, the, I, I, we saw that DEX Sunday night. I received a message on Slack and then I looked at it. So I tweeted about it. I do say to people to be cautious because again, I don't. We are not sure who is behind. Uh, and what they are doing, but uh, we're going to review that. But that's what is interesting for us is we spend so much effort onboarding and being successful at onboarding the biggest brand in the world. And I believe we are good at that. From a corporate perspective, we are good at getting big brands and giving trust to these brands. But now we need to rely on more people to develop features, utility, innovation on top of what we are doing. And there are a lot of DEX, DeFi, lending protocol coming on the cheese chain that's going to spice up a little bit just for the sake of the argument. This, uh, this cheese chain and, and, and the assets that are on the chain. Now, as a user, if I've got my fan token 
uh, or maybe multiple fan tokens. Is there a secondary market? Can I decide I'm, I'm done with the team, I hate that they traded a player, they lost an important game, and I want to sell my fan token off? Can I do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what exploded. So we launched our first token early 2020, and the training component came, I don't know, in the mid-2020, not sure. And so these fan tokens are fungible assets. They are I will hate to use that word, but let's say they are cryptocurrencies because they are fungible, except that for me, they are more asset than currencies because you're not buying anything with it. You're just getting benefits, not financial, of course, but you're getting utility benefits by by holding these tokens and using them in the utility platforms. And these tokens are tradable. They are tradable on Binance. They are tradable on OKX. They are tradable on every outside of US. Big exchanges, Bybit, BitGet, uh, in, in Brazil, Mercado Bitcoin, in Turkey, Paribu, yeah. in Korea, Upbit. So uh, you, not all of them, of course, but you have a basket of, let's say, 10 to 15 that are more or less uh, listed everywhere. And they're traded significantly because that's what it's supposed to be. And to, to give you some fun fact, Paris Saint-Germain fan token in August 2021, so we are at peak uh, bull market, so it's, it's a bit unfair, but still, uh, there is a Leo Messi uh, that just left Barcelona and joined PSG. During three days, the PSG token was traded a billion dollars a day on all the platforms and was more traded than Bitcoin in Brazil, for example. So wow. what was interesting, and, and it was a revenue stream, of course, for us, was a revenue stream for the club. And we, we had few examples like this. One thing that we, we are careful the way we, we say it, but it's interesting, it's as a category or as an asset class, rather, fan tokens are actually way more traded than NFTs today. People don't know that. People don't really look at it. People think sometimes it's gimmicky, yet it has, at least in our eyes, way more utility than 99% of NFTs, that's for sure. And it's way more traded. Now, let's be realistic. We are comparing Apple and Oranges. Trading a fungible and trading a non-fungible asset is really different in terms of volume and everything. But it is interesting. It's interesting that you said it's a fungible asset. I would have assumed that it was built on the same spec as an NFT. I would assume there's a limited supply of the fan tokens and they're each unique and different no 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 there is a limited supply so as i said uh, Barca okay. is 40 million paris saint germain is 20 million ufc i'm not sure formula one is probably 10 million uh, formula one teams it's probably 10 million this was calculated uh, back in 18 it was based out of the fan base so we created a formula that based on the fan base and the potential fans that will come in the next 10 20 years on the platform we made a, a multi-tier ladder and that's how we created that okay. and they are fungible because the irony of NFTs is NFTs are non-fungibles, which is their trend, but it's their flow as well. Because the fact that they are non-fungible make them less tradable and therefore less liquid and therefore less valuable. We also ah. seen that you can have a Border Apes. I think Border Apes is like 10,000 um, NFTs or something like that. Yeah. I think the way we see NFTs as of today it's kind of a rich club thing where you have 8,000 people, 10,000 people. But from a mainstream point of view, when you have a brand that exists for 100 years and has literally 100 million fans or 200 million fans, not that you can reach them easily, but the reality is you need to build a product or an ecosystem that at some point, maybe in 50 years, will be able to reach that. Yeah. So you don't want to create the artificial scarcity that exists in a lot of the NFT projects because you're actually trying to reach everyone that's got an interest in the fan club. Uh, you do want scarcity because if there is no scarcity, there is no value. And and especially in sports, you know, there is a, there is a limited amount of seat in a stadium. There is a limited amount of jersey available. There is a limited amount of how you can watch this. So everything in sports is about limitation. It's about giving a value out of it. And it's the same in crypto or in fan engagement. You, you create a product that is not available to anyone one that has their own limits of course uh, because you cannot scale we do some cool stuff for example there is um, a football 
I mean, soccer team uh, in Turkey, which is one of our biggest markets, where the fans were able to choose the number on the jersey in the back of the jersey. So they signed a new player, and the fans are the one who decided which number between the two numbers is going to be uh, flocked on the jersey. This kind of thing never happened before. And I like to say that, even though it's very arrogant from us, but it's um, I'm French, so I'm allowed to be. <laughs> we pushed football club, we pushed sports property to give more to their fans because of the investment we've made towards them. And that's very valuable for everybody today. It's pretty incredible to extend that level of engagement. It seems like something that is, it's a new feature of being a fan if you actually get to participate in the governance of the club somehow. And, you know, some of the clubs we are working with are actually listed company. You have uh, Juventus, um, or a club is a, is a listed company. And that's what yeah. is interesting. You, there is an argument, you know, how many times you've heard and read, oh, that's amazing, you could create a token and you own a piece of the club. And because you own a piece of the club, you can vote. Well, first of all, this is securities, number one. Uh, if you own a real yeah. piece of a club, that's securities, which is fine, but it's a different topic. Now, if you really do securities out of a football club, well, it's more or less an IPO, and that already existed for the last 40 years. You can today buy a share of Manchester United on the New York Stock Exchange, but what a share of the Manchester United gives you uh, in terms of right? Nothing. Give you the right to say, hey, I own a share, but you cannot vote anything. You don't have any special benefits as a fan. So the irony of fan token is you will always have the traditional governance and ownership uh, layer, obviously, which is the regulate. Uh, I mean, everything will be regulated at some point, but this one is the securities one. And then you have a more lower governance slash engagement layer, which is, I hope, fan tokens, where you do have a voice on a more scalable way uh, towards the teams that you like. And this voice comes with uh, some benefits, comes with disclaimers, comes with regulation, uh, regulatory framework, of course, depends on the country. But that's what's very interesting. We've touched on regulation a few times. Obviously, I, I tried to actually uh, create an account on the platform, but I'm in the United States, so I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to access it, which I was sad about. Outside of the situation in the US, what is the reception to what you're building here? In Europe, is this, is this sort of accepted or are you still you know, out on the edge of how the, the regulation is, is set up today. We are one of these rare so-called crypto project that has really like a global footprint. So we are we have yeah. like a six people full time internally from a um, regulatory and, and legal um, department. It really depends. So for example, in Brazil, which is our second market, crypto and Bitcoin in general is pretty much uh, legal. Exchanges are legal. There is a regulatory framework from an AML uh, perspective, of course, uh, but you don't need a license to operate in the country. But if you go back on the, so the, the, the equivalent of, uh, I, I think CFTC more than SEC actually, but let's say the equivalent of CFTC, SEC in, in Brazil is called CVM. You have the superintendent of the CVM who tweeted, it was very weird because we didn't expect that, who tweeted in September of this year, made a video uh, of him, uh, like a selfie video, talking about fan tokens and how they are relevant in the country to help the teams to generate revenue and to help the, the fans to be closer to their team. So that's the ultimate kind of dream country where the regulator talk about the product itself because in Brazil we work with the top 10 biggest teams and, and we are very we are huge there. In most of countries actually let's say we, we take Europe we, we are um, we call that registered it's, it's not really a licensing mechanism but it's a registration in many countries in Europe where it's needed for example like in Italy in Spain everywhere we have a team and I will take the example of Portugal in Portugal we work with the biggest uh, sports team like a team that is liked by 60% of the country it's called Benfica when we signed that deal which I believe was in November 21 it took us a year to actually eventually launch the token because we had to ask the permission of the Banco de Portugal to make sure 
both the issuing of the token and the operating of the trading platform or the utility platform uh, was uh, okay under the regulatory framework. And normally, we actually apply to be uh, registered as a, as, a, as, a, as a platform there. And the Banco de Portugal actually responded after lot of exchanges that we don't need to register, which is what in, in US you call that um, non-action letter. It exists yeah. only with CFTC, doesn't exist with SEC. And so we, we've done that in every single country. In Malaysia, for example, when we launched a token of the biggest team as well, we actually asked the permission to the local uh, regulator and we got the same thing. So in every country, we either get regulated, like in Italy, in Spain, in Lithuania and other yeah. places, either we ask permission to the regulator, either we do nothing because we cannot do anything. It's got to be a huge overhead on the business to do that in every single country as you're going around <laughs> the world. Yes, but so the thing is, I mean, the answer is obviously yes. The difference from us and from most of so-called crypto um, entities is because we come from the online gambling industry, when we build our business, our mindset was already to work as a regulated entity. So every tool we yeah. built, everything we've ever done always was, and I hope always was with a pre-requirement that uh, we're going to be regulated one way or another and we need to act as a regulated entity. So we didn't come with the naive utopia of uh, Web3 where everything should be decentralized and uh, there is no regulation, blah, blah, blah. Not at all. And that's why sometimes probably we, we didn't succeed as much as some traditional decentralized project because for us, when you work with the teams and the IP, the brands we are working with, we cannot afford to uh, fuck it up. Excuse my French. So th there are some things that we were not able to do even though others could have done it. So we have to be very yeah. very careful of that. But in the long term, it, it pays. And, and that's also why the teams and the, and the sports property enjoy or at least feel confident to work with us is because we take this very seriously. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the biggest headwind, I think, right now across the broader crypto and blockchain industry is that the people on the outside, they're interested, but they're very concerned. Not everybody's taking the same strides that you have when it comes to compliance and regulation, and they don't see that maturity. And it's like, well, this is just a risk to my business for yeah. something that you know, maybe doesn't have a return. I, I just want to add something on this because we, we had, for example, a very famous uh, a soccer player, a football player, one of the top three guys who has like, I don't know, 400 million fans. And they asked themselves, hey, should we launch a token? We didn't want to launch a token for them because we don't believe in social token and, and, and individual uh, tokens. But one thing was interesting for uh, that, that I love what agent said to us, Alex, we don't want to launch that token as well because if that token goes down 30%, Adidas or Nike, who gives me 20 million a year, suddenly is going to ask me a discount because the brand or the fan sentiment is down. And so there is an argument that uh, the difficulty for so-called Web2 or more brick and mortar businesses, how do you embrace crypto and blockchain without damaging your existing business? And that's a very interesting point. It really is. I hadn't thought about this, a personal token being an index on your value to society. How interested are your fans in you? As you get older, later in your career, you lose a step on the pitch, suddenly your, your value starts trading down. That would be a very sad moment. <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually that's the reason we don't do uh, individual tokens because people die, people retire. So there is no mm -hmm. utility. There is too much risk of insider trading. It's, it's yep. not like a corporation. So we, we like to work with brands, corporation, who have a marketing department, a legal department. And whoever will die eventually in the team will still survive anyway. So um, th that's the reason we focus on that, actually. If I'm coming to sign up and I want to buy my first fan token, let's say I was not in the US, you have a Know Your Customer program. I have to show my yes. ID. And then you have a, an anti-money laundering transaction monitoring team. You're kind of looking after everything in that secondary sales market. Yeah. So because we come from online gambling, uh, especially online poker and, um, and sports betting, we ha and because we're also based, I'm based in Malta for the last 17 or 18 years. So here in Malta, we have, I think, 
13% of the GDP of the, of the country is made by sports betting company. So most of your of the top European betting company are actually based in Malta, historically, for the last 20 years. So we have a pool of talent in terms of KYC, transaction monitoring, and, and compliance, and money laundering, etc., anti-money laundering, <laughs> uh, that are, is very valuable. And so for us, indeed, when you create an account, uh, it depends on the country. If you're in Turkey, in Brazil, in Mexico, for example, uh, or in Europe, you have a different set of rules. So we have to develop a platform that, based on where you are, will react one way or another, based on the local regulation. And sometimes it's going to become a bit frustrating because, for example, NFTs in Europe, you can buy NFTs, you can trade NFTs, and you don't need KYC, you don't need AML, and you don't even need, theoretically, let's say, edge ver verification, let's say there is. But there is an argument that it's easier to play dirty, if you wanted to, with NFTs, than it is with traditional crypto assets that are fungible. And in our case, depends on the country. For example, in the uh, in UK, because of the new FCA rules, you cannot spend your first euro or your first pound uh, if you haven't been KYC'd and if you haven't answered, I don't know, I think it's six questions out of 24 that are randomly picked up. And I believe as well that you cannot deposit your first euro or pound before a 24 hours cool down period, which is a little bit... Uh, crazy. But it is wow. the rules. So we have to follow the rules. In uh, continental Europe, it's a little bit different. In Turkey, it's different. In Malaysia, it's different. For me, what's going to be interesting and frustrating and challenging is we need to start to educate regulators about two kinds of views of crypto. One is the trading part. The other one is the utility part. And if I'm a fan of Paris Saint-Germain or Barcelona, I just want to spend 50 euros in order to acquire this token and to vote on the decision of the club and do stuff with tickets. Should I KYC myself, like fully KYC it for 50 euro, knowing that you cannot trade it or you can, it's not a medium of exchange, you cannot withdraw whatsoever at that point. So it's literally a transaction that is one way. And should I give my full identity card and, and, and whatever other things that are requested? Uh, it's, it's challenging. So the, the problem we're going to face in the next two, three years is every single thing that touch crypto will be put in the same basket that is trading, yet there will be more and more utility uh, platform and tools that should not require that deep uh, KYC at first. Don't take me wrong. As soon as I spend more than 50 euros or 200 euros, or as soon as I can trade or withdraw, so the platform becomes a medium of exchange. Yes, of course, I need to be KYC before that. But when I just want to consume the utility of the asset I just bought for that I believe we should build new rules. And nobody ever has done that for the time being. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that. In fact, what I've seen, it, a lot of the, the rules being rolled out over the last year have a threshold of zero, you know, as the value point. Anything greater yeah. than zero. Yeah, which, by the way, doesn't exist in gambling, which is a little bit ironic because in most of uh, sports betting and online casino and online poker ad and countries, you could see an ad right now of DraftKings and FanDuel in the US. You can see an ad of uh, Ladbrokes. You create your account, you put 200 pounds, 500 pounds, 1,000 euros immediately, and then you have 15 days, 30 days to validate your account, etc., etc. So you can spend already, actually, you can spend and lose, if it's the question, uh, immediately. And it's true in the US as well, by the way. Ah, I think so, in most of states at least. And crypto, because of the toxicity and uh, of the narrative and the risk that it, it carries, which is true, it went super to the other extreme, but I don't think it fit the utility narrative and I hope one day it will change a little bit. And that's where there is a, from a regulatory point of view, there is a question about non-custodial uh, utility platform where eventually people does the custody of their own assets and therefore we, socios or someone else, can just take care of the utility 
which is an, obviously a non-regulated product. And that, that's going to be interesting, I think, in the next 18 months to see how we can mix that. It's so hard to do non-custodial platforms, though, right? For the average user, the average sports team fan, right? Like, get a wallet, manage the security around that wallet. That seems like a huge challenge, right? It, listen, I'm the only guy probably that you have interviewed that doesn't have MetaMask. Me? Yeah. <laughs> I need easy stuff. I need like a, yeah. a MPC wallet where I don't I don't want private keys. I'm not in crypto to evangelize the world about decentralization. I'm in crypto for the sports space. So we looked and, and Socios will launch next year, not in the US, but in the rest of the world, we will have a non-custodial wallet and we're going to try to focus on that. But the tech is done by third party where the security is what we call uh, multi-party computing or something like that, uh, MPC, yeah. and where you have like uh, have an email or you can have just have your Twitter account or whatever to have access and to sign transaction. And that's cool. There is still the yeah. fiat component at the beginning. Uh, how do you fund your account? Because this has to be I see one way or another, but there are more and more tools in all fairness that makes this way more mainstream, even for a guy like me. And that's what we need to push. What about security? I would have to imagine valuable tokens, less technically savvy user base, maybe than, than a typical crypto exchange, really big brands participating. You've got to be a fairly high value target if I'm putting myself <laughs> Please, in the shoes of a hacker. Don't jinx it. Please don't jinx it. <laughs> I guess till now we were not really because we had this kind of like private chain, but now that Chili's chain is a fully permissionless chain, it's our biggest risk. And that's very stressful, obviously. We are trying to alienate nobody. We love everybody. The amount of the assets are maybe in a way, at least for the time being, they are very low. So maybe it's not the the, the, the best target for the time being, but hopefully one day it will be. That would be, it's a good problem to have. Of course, we have to be careful. We have to be careful the way we handle it. And it's the scary part. Now that the reality is now that we became is the chain became more decentralized it's a risk from the governance point of view it's a risk that is yeah. on every asset on the chain it's not really the risk anymore as an issuer uh, like we can be the platform obviously it's a risk as well but hopefully we will become more and more non-custodial as well that's the non-cool part of that business is being a potential target of white or black hack and that's uh, that's an issue i would imagine that from your days in in the online poker world this said to be you had to face similar challenges uh in in that world right definitely so there was no crypto there was only so-called uh, fiat money so for, for that angle the, the money actually in um, the online gaming the, the problem was not money in money out was the fact i will always remember that in my life so 2005 2006 so we had a sports book we were doing a regulated sports book actually from the uk we had a license in the uk etc and we cover i don't know hundreds of sports and there is this uh, polish uh, football matches. Uh, I think they were Polish. I don't want to say something wrong. And 10 minutes before the beginning of the match, at that time, the live uh, betting didn't exist. 10 minutes before the, beti- the beginning of the match, you have a gang of 10, 12 people that deposit money with actually wallets. Actually, uh, back in the years, there were wallets called net teller, money bookers, which are digital wallets, not crypto, but digital wallets, like PayPal, like more or less the equivalent of PayPal. Yeah. And they deposit the money there. They win. They win because the match was rigged. And then they withdraw the money 10 minutes after the match. So, this is typically the kind of attacks that used to exist, and it still exists actually, uh, in the in the sports space. And so you had to have tools to monitor that, hey, if the guy made a deposit more than this, uh, you have to block the withdrawal for uh, 24 hours so you can make verification. Uh, then you have to check that the result that you enter, or that's an API uh, that you enter for, uh, is the accurate one? Was there a suspicion of, of uh, rigging, etc.? So that, that was for the sports betting. In, in poker, it's even worse. In poker, the danger was the fact that people use stolen credit card to deposit 
money in a poker room. Then they play on a table with some friends. They lose their money to their friends on a, on a cash game table. The friends withdraw that money legitimately. And then you get uh, 30 days later the cash back of the credit card company and you pay the other guys. So all of these tools and smell, I would say, that you need to, to be <laughs> educated about uh, to, to protect yourself. It's, it's, it's same, same, but different. But eventually it's always the same st- scheme. I'll be honest, it sounds way harder than securing things in crypto. I mean, it was for sure, yeah, yeah. Having a professional football team throw a match and having people wagering against that, knowing the result was coming, I mean, that that's a hard thing to defend against. That's not technical security. That's, uh, that's some serious social engineering. What do you think about the U.S. market? Do you anticipate being able to come back to the, the U.S. at some point in the future? What's your outlook here? Yes, I guess so. I mean, US is interesting because you could probably argue that it's one of the most innovative country in terms of innovation, yet regulated sports betting and regulated poker, regulated gambling was more or less the latest countries out of all the Western countries in the world by like 10 years or 15 years, if you look at UK or even a few others. In crypto, you can see that there is a cleanup happening right now uh, and probably it's healthy one way or another. So I'm pretty confident that regulation and clear guidance and framework will happen post-November next year. And so 25 should be a year where you'll have hopefully a clear guidance about what you can do because what you cannot do is pretty clear right now, more or less everything. Uh, But what you can do is not clear. And so I think for us, by that time, hopefully, we would have proven, like we did in the past, that we are a good partner to work with sports property. Uh, as I said, we spent more or less $80 million working with some U.S. sports team in order to prepare an upcoming regulation that unfortunately never came. <laughs> so we lost a lot of money and we, we, we are confident that at some point in the next two, three years, uh, we will be able to reinvest uh, one way or another. And if we can't, that's fine as well. The rest of the world is, is good enough. That's terrific. My customary closing question, as you look to the next year and a half beyond the U.S. market, everything else in your business, What's getting you really excited? What do we have to look forward to on the roadmap? For us, it's really about, we, we call that SportFi. Uh, so you have GameFi, DeFi, SportFi. So it's all the new SportFi features that third party or us, one way or another, are going to, to be able to launch, promote, or support. That's the main thing, I guess, next year. And a, a bit more decentralization, actually. As I said at the beginning, is I'm a Web 1.0 guy. We are a Web 2.2 company. I hope to be a Web 2.5, 2.6 by the end of next year uh, as a company. And, and I think it's just enjoying the, the ride offering better product to the fans offering better product to the teams that's really what we, we, we are pushing that sounds exciting Alex thanks so much for joining us on the podcast this has been fantastic thanks again hey there thanks for listening to another episode if you enjoyed what you heard today do me a favor open up your podcast app rate the show give us a review and tell us what you liked Even better, you can share the podcast with your friends. And of course, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Now last week, our director of research, Kim Grauer, joined me on the podcast. We discussed the topics that we're covering in our upcoming 2024 crypto crime report. One of the bigger trends is the rise of approval phishing scams. We've seen massive growth in this scheme over the last two years. In 2023 alone, we've identified over 374 million in suspected stolen funds. Now, approval phishing is a scamming tactic that has existed for many years. Bad guys have historically relied on tricks like fake crypto apps or cloned websites, but the latest tactics are getting ever more sophisticated. I think every Web3 user is at risk, including all of you listening to this show. So do me a favor, head down to the show notes, read our blog. We dissect the scam and provide some visual aids to better protect yourself. Stay safe out there, my friends.